ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهدي الله فهو المهتد ومن يضلل فلن تجد له وليا مرشدا ثم اما بعد I would like to say at the outset that this lecture has nothing to do with thieves in the middle what they call thieves in the middle <laughs> so I would like you to be reassured Now, on the uh, Prophet's uh, way uh, back to Medina after he had concluded uh, the peace treaty of Hudaybiyah uh, with the Kuffar, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to him uh, Surah Al-Fatih, uh, the opening verse of which read, Inna fatahna laka fatham mubina. We have indeed uh, granted you or given you a victory which is a clear victory. Uh, one companion of the Prophet wondered and said the, to, to the Prophet ﷺ, was it victory or messenger of Allah? And the Prophet ﷺ said, by him in whose hand, in whose hand is my soul, it is victory. Now, why did uh, this companion of the Prophet who was no less than Umar ibn al-Khattab why did he ask that question? What kind of victory was uh, this victory? And why did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam concluded that treaty with the Quraysh? And also what is important for us is what lessons do we learn from this treaty for the situation in which we are uh, in which you are now the <coughs> the man Umar ibn Khattab asked the question uh, because apparently Sulh al-Hudaybiyah the treaty of Hudaybiyah was unfair to the Muslims. And many of them, and especially Umar, felt that it was uh, unfair to them. Uh, that, so that is why uh, he asked the question. Okay. The Muslims had come to perform Umrah. And performing Umrah was a kind of right for every Arab in the days of the Jahiliyyah. But the Kuffar thought who were you know, in a state of war with the Muslims, the Kuffar of Quraysh thought that if the Muslims were allowed to make uh, the Umrah, this would be a kind of victory for them. And they didn't uh, want that. And, they, uh, and, and that was despite the Prophet's uh, repeated assurances to them that their intention was purely religious and that they had not come uh, to fight. But the Quraysh insisted that the Muslims must go back. They, they thought that they made a compromise with the Muslims that said, you cannot make Umrah this year, but you can go back and come next year. So, not only this, but the treaty uh, included a stipulation uh, which says that if a Muslim renews and comes 
back to the Quraysh, they don't uh, return him to the Muslims. But if a Qurayshi accepts, accepts Islam and goes to the, to, to the Muslims, then the Muslims must send him back. And this was very hard for the Muslims, especially because while they were making the treaty, someone came who had accepted Islam and he wanted to join his, his brother and the Prophet and he thought, of course, that they would defend him. But the Prophet had met, in fact, he, he, he did not conclude the treaty at that time. The treaty was not signed. But the Quraysh insisted that uh, he must be returned. And the Prophet ultimately agreed. This was very hard for the Muslims. So that was the reason why uh, uh, Umar ibn al-Khattab uh, uh, <coughs> asked that question. Uh, the Prophet وسلم, made the treaty with them uh, not because uh, they were friends of the Muslims. They were, they were the worst of enemies. You know, that they persecuted the Muslims. They killed um, some of them. They bo- boycotted them and made them starve. They banished them from the, 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 their land, and they ultimately tried even to kill the Prophet ﷺ. But the Prophet ﷺ had promised that on his way to Mecca from Medina, on his way to making Umrah, he had promised that, uh, he said, uh, he promised that if they ask him anything, in which there is glorification for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he would grant them. So that, so he made the treaty because he, and perhaps, uh, of course, he is a prophet, uh, that must be by guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah knew that this was in the interest of the message. So everything which makes it easy for people to accept the truth, makes it easy for, the, uh, for them to accept it, then uh, uh, the, the Prophet ﷺ uh, would do. Uh, Ibn al-Qayyim made a, a long commentary on this part, but now we are not interested in that part just now. But uh, I just mentioned just one or two words about this. Uh, that he said, that we conclude from this, that uh, if a kafir, or a fasir, or any person, comes or group of persons ask you to do something which you know to be good they ask you to cooperate with them then you should do that and he said this, that this is something very difficult for the, for, 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 yani for the human being to do but this is what we, you should do for example if the Americans ask you some uh, Americans among whom you are living ask you they say there are many thieves in this <laughs> area so we want to do this, we want to do that, come and cooperate with, with us. You don't say, no, I am a Muslim, uh, don't cooperate with me. Or uh, to fight drugs or so, you say, no, I hope that these drugs will kill all of you, and uh, I don't care. <laughs> you don't say this. You, you cooperate with them. Uh, and, and, and in fact, you should view this as, uh, uh, you, you, you should view them as helping you. 
Because this is something good which you should do. And now you are finding someone who is helping you to do what you would have done anyway if you had uh, the, the, uh, the, the power and the chance uh, to do it. Uh, now, what kind of victory was, the, was the Al-Hudaybiyah? Ibn Hajar says <coughs> that, uh, that it was uh, in, in his book, uh, his great book, Fath al-Bari, that Allah called it victory because of the great consequences that followed from it. Allah knew what consequences would follow from it. Uh, so he called it victory uh, just, before, just after it was concluded and when the Muslims were going back to Medina because of the great consequences, he said. He reports as Zuhri, another great uh, scholar, as saying, Pay, pay good attention to the words of Zuhri and for the sake of the brothers who speak uh, Arabic, I will read, uh, uh, inshallah, the, the books here. Zuhri is not Quran. Where are my books? Now, as Zuhri said, I mean, this is a translation, of course, of what he said. No victory in the vic- uh, no, no victory. No victory uh, in Islam was greater than Hudaybiyah. It used to be only fighting when people, meaning Muslims and non-Muslims, it, it used to be only fighting when people met. But when there was a truce, when the war stopped, and when people felt safe they began to meet and talk to each other and negotiate. As a result, no thinking person to whom Islam was presented in that time, during that time of the truth, but accepted it. Pay attention to these words. Now, the number of people who embraced Islam in those two years was equal to or greater than the number of all those who had been Muslims before. I repeat this. The number of people who embraced Islam in those two years was equal to or greater than the number of all those who had been Muslims before. Ibn Hisham concurs and says, the evidence for this is that when the Prophet went to Hudaybiyah, he was accompanied by 1,400 Muslims. But when after two years, he marched to conquer Mecca, there were 10,000 with him. So all these, about 900, accepted Islam during uh, the the, the period of that, uh, during that truce, uh, truce. Ibn Hajar again says, because of the peace, he, he, he explains and why people accepted Islam during those uh, years. Because of the peace which prevailed among them, people mixed with each other without any reprehension. Muslims recited the Quran to the polytheists and debated with them openly about Islam without any fear. 
while earlier they used to speak to them about this only secretly. Now, for the sake I said of uh, of the uh, of the brothers who speak Arabic, I will read some of these in in, in Arabic. Um, قال كان مبدأ الفتح المبين على المسلمين لما ترتب على الصلح الذي وقع منه الأمن ورفع الحرب وتمكن من يخشى الدخول في الإسلام والوصول إلى المدينة من ذلك كما وقع لخالد بن الوليد وعمر بن العاص وغيرهما ثم تبعت الأسباب بعضها بعضا إلى أن كمل الفتح وقد ذكر ابن إسحاق في المغازي عن الزهري قال لم لم يكن في الإسلام فتح قبل الحديبية أعظم منه وإنما كان الكفر حيث القتال فلما أمن الناس كل فلما أمن الناس كلهم كلم بعضهم بعضا وتفاوضوا في الحديث والمنازعة ولم يكن أحد في الإسلام يعقل شيئا إلا بادر إلى الدخول فيه فلقد دخل في تلك السنتين مثل من كان دخل في الإسلام قبل ذلك أو أكثر قال ابن هشام ويدل عليه أنه صلى الله عليه وسلم خرج في الحديبية في 1400 ثم خرج بعد سنين إلى فتح مكة في عشرة آلاف Now, We learn from the comments of these three great scholars that the The, the victory of Hudaybiyah was mainly that of great numbers of people coming to the, to the fold of Islam. That's why it was called the victory. We also conclude that the reason for this was the state of peace that replaced that of war and fighting. What lesson is there for us in all this? The main lesson, I think, is that if a state of peace with non-Muslims is found to be more conducive to the spread of Islam than that of war, then it should be not only preferred, but actively sought and maintained. This should be so even if Muslims have the power and the means to fight, as was the case uh, with the Muslims uh, يعني, uh, under the leadership of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu when they went to Mecca, they were not weak. They could have fight. And, and in fact, many, many of them suggested to the Prophet that um, uh, we, we should fight. So they were not weak. They could fight. Uh, but in spite of this, they preferred the peace because the criterion for uh, preferring peace or war is what are the consequences for the da'wah. Because our main objective is to invite people to Islam, not to kill them. Hmm? <laughs> our main objective is to invite people to Islam. Because the Prophet ﷺ says, فَوَاللَّهِ لَأَنْ يَهْدِيَ اللَّهُ بِكَ رَجُلًا وَاحِدًا خَيْرٌ لَكَ مِنْ حُمْرِ النَّعَمِ By Allah, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala يعني causes one person to come, to become a Muslim through you, then that is better for you than the best of wealth. This is, this is an idiomatic expression, naam. Uh, it means that for the Arabs it was the best uh, kind of wealth. Uh, so, uh, so, so we should have all, uh, this in mind all the time. 
Our objective is to invite people to Islam. Uh, yani our main objective is not to call, just to call them uh, yani you are kafirs, uh, you, are, you are better than you, you uh, no, our objective is to uh, invite uh, uh, people to Islam. All other matters should be subordinated to, uh, to this. Uh, <coughs> Instead of fighting and antagonizing uh, non-Muslims, Muslims should invite them and argue with them in the best of manners. In doing so, they would be emulating the Prophet ﷺ. Look at the nice but firm words of the message which he sent to the polytheists. I read it in Arabic first and then translate. قال الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم إنا لم نجئ لقتال أحد ولكننا جئنا معتمرين وإن قريشا قد نهكتهم الحرب وأضرت بهم فإن شاءوا مادتهم مدة ويخلوا بيني وبين الناس فإن أظهر فإن شاءوا أن يدخلوا فيما دخل فيه الناس فعلوا وإلا فقد جموا وإن هم أبوا فوالذي نفسي بيده لأقاتلنهم على أمري هذا حتى تنفرد سالفتي ولينفذن الله أمره This is the my translation of those words of the Prophet He said we have not come to fight anyone we have come only to perform umrah See, we are very, very, very often criticized as uh, Islamists. Uh, they say that our khitab, uh, the way we address people, yeah, is not a nice way. But so, so there is a, uh, there is something to learn from uh, the way the Prophet ﷺ addressed these people. And remember, these were his greatest enemies. Now, so he said. We have not come to fight anyone. We have come only to perform Umrah. And look, he said, Quraysh, he said, has been exhausted and devastated by war. So as if, as if he is telling them, I mean, this is not good for you. <laughs> enough is enough. <laughs> Why should you go on fighting? And, 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 and This is not in, in, in your interest. If they will, I will give them time during which they let me alone with the people. If I come victorious, then if they wish to embrace what other people embrace, they can do so. If not, they would at least have had a respite, Jammu. If they refuse, then by him in whose hands is my soul, I will fight them until my neck is severed. I will, uh, um, and Allah will execute His command. So the the words are nice but very fair. There is no compromise as far as the message is concerned. But uh, but uh, but the address is is is, is very nice and, and and convincing. Now 
what lesson do we... Uh, no, it seems to me uh, that Muslims living in, uh, uh, in, in some of the Western, I say some, of the Western democracies, and perhaps especially in the United States, uh, where they are given the freedom, even if, if it be a limited one, to practice their faith and preach it, are living in a situation which is very much like that of the two years of the Hudaybiyah truce. I hope I am right. <laughs> Just like the situation during the two years of the truce, uh, Muslims freely and peacefully mix with non-Muslims. They talk to them. They negotiate with them. They even debate with them. They discuss religious matters with them. And just like the case in those two years, many people come to the fold of Islam every year. It is therefore incumbent upon Muslims to do their best to maintain this peaceful environment and exploit it to invite people uh, to Islam in a way that is wise, nice, and intellectual, in accordance with the Quranic injunction, ud'u ila rabbika bil hikmati wal mawi'idati al hasana, ud'u ila sabili rabbika bil hikmati wal mawi'idati al hasana, wajadilhum billatihi ahsan. Zakhullah khair. Invite to the way of your Lord with wisdom and beautiful preaching, and argue with them in the best of ways. The enemies of Islam in the West know very well that the best way to stop and or hinder the spread of Islam is by presenting Muslims to the people as terrorists, as people who are intent on destroying Western civilization. So they know, because if, uh, if this is how people perceive you, if someone perceives you as being an, a dishonest person, a dangerous person, an immoral person, then he will not listen to you. Those naive Muslims who advoc advocate violence, which does not achieve uh, anything anyway, are in fact playing into the hands of their enemies. They give them the best tool uh, to have people believe that Muslims are indeed, as the hostile media, media depicts them, destructive elements that should be fought at all costs. And this, uh, brothers and sisters, this يعني, very often happens. You find that uh, what are called the extremists, uh, the extremists, uh, يعني, always help the cause of their worst enemies. <laughs> this happens very often. Uh, I was in the United States uh, when the Oklahoma tragedy occurred. And I witnessed, I witnessed the great fear in which Muslims, especially those who frequent uh, Masajid, lived when a so-called expert came and said that this was an act of, 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 of Muslims. And I witnessed the great sigh of relief uh, these Muslims felt when it was ultimately found 
that uh, the perpetrators were not Muslims but Christian Americans. It is very natural to have such a feeling in situations like these when you are a minority living under the jurisdiction of a non-Muslim majority. And uh, they say, the Sahaba and the ulama say that, uh, of course you know, uh, shura, consultation, uh, is an Islamic principle. But they say that this was um, applied in matters of war more than any other matter. Because matters of war concern everyone. So no one يعني, has the right, whether it be an individual or a group of individuals or, or, or so, uh, to fight on behalf of the Muslims or in the name of the Muslims. Uh, no one has the right to this. The people have to be consulted. But if you are living as a minority in, in, in a sea of يعني, uh, non-Muslims, uh, you can't do this. You can't go and uh, negotiate with people and say, what do we do? Uh, that's why uh, it is better not to fight at all. It is better not to fight at all. There are situations in which you, there is no alternative but to fight. For example, when the uh, Russians invaded Afghanistan. This is your country. The people have come and invaded it. There is, uh, there is no other alternative. Even if all of the Afghans die, still it is better than uh, to leave their, their, their country for the, for, for the non-Muslims. Uh, but this, the situation is not always like this. If you are living as a minority and the, the kafir, and you fear that if you uh, do any kind of violence, then the result will be disastrous for, for, for Muslims, then it becomes your duty not to do this. Uh, and that is perhaps why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Muslims when they were in a minority in Mecca not to raise a hand. They were boycotted, they were made to starve, they were persecuted, they were banished, but they were told not to fight. They were given permission to fight only when they left Mecca and had their own independent land. So, you don't fight if the consequences are, uh, uh, يعني are uh, the consequences are worse than the situation before you fall. Some people don't understand these Islamic principles. They say they think that when Islam says do this or do that, you do it blindly. You don't think of the consequences. But no, it is an Islamic principle that you may, must pay good attention to the consequences of your deeds. And that is why uh, they say even in Amr al-Ma'roof and Nahya al munkar if in a certain situation you're uh, telling people to do a good, something good will result in a greater evil, then you don't tell them to do this. If in a certain situation you're forbidding them from doing a certain evil will again result in a greater evil, you don't do this. So this is an Islamic principle and as I said in uh, my last lecture and it is a rational principle. Even non-Muslims apply this because this is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put in the minds of, uh, of, uh, of people.
uh, it is important for Muslims to be keen on maintaining this environment, this uh, peaceful environment uh, of freedom for another reason. It will not last. This, this is my, in my opinion, this will not last. Democratic countries are ready to let minorities like Muslims enjoy freedom so long as they are not envisaged to be a threat to secularism. Once they are feared to be, then the secularists are sure to sacrifice democracy to save secularism. This happened in many countries, uh, most recently in Turkey, and they, and they said it very clearly. And uh, I read somewhere that this is in their constitution, that, uh, that, uh, that they can uh, sacrifice democracy to save secularism. Because secularism is their belief, it is their religion. So if secularism contradicts with democracy, they are sure to sacrifice yani, the latter for the first one. So, so uh, yani, we, we had better make the best of this situation while, uh, while it lasts. Uh, I know this. Uh, 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 I, uh, I don't have to repeat that. Uh, I was going to say that, uh, and I said that at the beginning, that uh, uh, this has nothing to do with, uh, uh, with the peace in the Middle East. And unfortunately, because of the peace uh, treaty in the Middle East, uh, even talk about Hudaybiyah has become very uh, sensitive. People feel nervous as soon as you, you mention <laughs> the, the Hudaybiyah treaty, because many of those people uh, exploited this when they made the peace his words and uh, his enlightening uh, speech and uh, right now we will have um, a period of um, questions and answers it can stay until uh, the time for the Iqamah of Salat al-Isha um, as you know that Sheikh has spoken about Sulh al-Hudaybiyah and if you want to call it in English the truth of Hudaybiyah not and they call it peace of peace treaty of the Middle East and the <laughs> difference between a truce and a peace treaty. And um, also how Islam flourished, really flourished in those very few years when Muslims were allowed to be able to go and speak to other non-Muslims and explain Islam and there will be sometimes some dialogues and um, debates and then because Islam is the absolute and supreme truth from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not at the peace of peace treaty of the Middle East and 
is difference between a truce and a peace treaty. And um, also how Islam flourished, really flourished, in those very few years when Muslims were allowed to be able to go and speak to other non-Muslims and explain Islam and there'll be sometimes some dialogues and um, debates and then because Islam is the absolute and supreme truth from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then Islam prevailed and there were people who were very sincere to spread this Islam to the non-Muslims and uh, this is why as he said Imam Zuhri has said that the people that the Sulh al-Hudaybiyah even though a lot of the companions like Umar ibn Khattab and others thought that this was like um, kind of um, if not a defeat but at least a negative point to Muslims however Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed Surah Al-Fatih the Surah Al-Fatih right after Surah Al-Hudaybiyah and um, and as Imam Zuhri said there was no victory no conquering that is more uh, than that is bigger than this victory of Al-Hudaybiyah and um, then the numbers of the Muslims who of the people who became Muslim in those two years two to three years were by way much more than the Muslims than the number of Muslims uh, people who embraced Islam since the beginning of the uh, prophecy of Prophet Muhammad so for now we will be having questions you can raise your hand and we will be giving you the mic to ask yeah. or if you can write we want to write also or if you want to write your questions for the sisters, you are uh, very welcome to do that, or even the brothers. Jazakumullah khayna. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Sheikh Jafar, Jazakumullah khayran. Sometimes we face some situation, uh, some brothers who has a, a limited of knowledge, and uh, we know that they are sincere really, um, but sometimes when they read translation of the Quran uh, without going deep in understanding the environment of the revelation of these verses for example someone said that Allah said in the Quran Qatilul mushrikeen kafa and there here they are mushrikeen and I have to fight so how I can deal with this situation <coughs> this shows you the importance of the sunnah it shows you the importance of the sunnah the, uh, the Prophet read that verse and he knows the verse. But in spite of this, he made that solch with the, with, 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 with the Mushrikeen. So, uh, so you, you, on, on certain occasions, you fight the Mushrikeen on others. And by the way, you fight if you, if you have the power to fight. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't say, go and fight if you don't have the power to fight. Who are you for living in the United States uh, to go and fight uh, America? You can't, you can't fight. You will only end up uh, uh, being put in prison or being killed or um, persecuted or so on. That, that's not fighting at all. Uh, there, there are certain rules and principles that must be applied when, when, when you fight. 
there must be uh, leadership, there must be uh, power, there must be some kind of independence. Uh, you don't just uh, take your gun and, uh, and go to the street and uh, whenever you meet any kafir you shoot him. That's not fighting. I'm Sheikh Yafra. In my neighborhood um, yesterday, um, I met um, two Mormons. One was from Utah and another one was from California. And they come over here in my neighborhood in Colmore. And, uh, I met two Mormons yesterday in my neighborhood of Colmore. Um, over it's a Hispanic neighborhood, and I see I met two um, two Mormons, one from Utah, one from California. And they're here. They're giving dawah. Um, they get like stipends, and they also get like cars and apartments in the area. And I met other two, um, two other um, Mormons boys. They um, both had bikes and giving dawah. And um, is there any wrong with anything wrong with us like doing the same thing? Because they're calling people to uh, kufr. Uh, would be anything wrong with going in the neighborhood and I mean doing the same thing that they're doing? They mostly give out pamphlets and um, they they know Spanish and stuff like that. Is there anything wrong with us doing the, doing the same thing? No, no. Um, and I think some brothers are doing this. Some Muslim brothers are doing this. Okay. Yes, you can. Assalamu alaikum. Would you please uh, give us who sh- who is qualified to go out and, and, and do dawah? I mean, and the prerequisites and, and, and the information. Who should be who should be allowed to go out and do dawah? And, and, and how can we acquire the knowledge if we don't have it in order to do so? My brief answer is that every Muslim who knows the meaning of what he says when he says La ilaha illallah commit thou. Because this is, this is the essence of Islam. If you can explain this to the people, if they ask you a question, uh, the answers to which you don't know, you say, I don't know. You, you don't have to be a learned person uh, to, to and, and no one can be so learned as to answer every question. No one except the Prophet So to say that I will not make da'wah unless I, and I become a great scholar who can answer every uh, question, then you will never make da'wah. So, so you make da'wah uh, because the Prophet says, anni walaw ayah. Even if you hear an ayah, verse from me, go and convey it to someone who was not present when I said it. And it might be that the person to whom you confine, uh, convey to him, understands this better than you. So, you might invite someone to Islam today, and after three years he becomes your sheikh. You never know. <laughs> no. My question is, since the topic of the lecture about Sulh al-Hudaybiyah, and we have in Arab countries a peace agreement signed between, you know, Israel and Arab countries, I know maybe, feel free not to answer the question. My understanding is that if an agreement signed with 
any uh, country from the kuffar or something, it should be temporary, not permanent. Should be what? Temporary, for a short period. Uh-huh. Now, can you please give us a, a brief simulation for a peace process nowadays signed between Arab countries and how it should be? Since, you know, no two persons agree on the eligibility of the peace process or the peace agreements that are signed. We have good lessons from Salih al-Hadaybiyah, so... No. Yes, I have, I have ideas about that, but I'm not going to talk about this just now, because, uh, no, we are not talking about, uh, this is what I said at the beginning. This has nothing to do with Sulh uh, al-Hadaybiyah. I mean with Sulh uh, al-Israel. Thank you for uh, this very interesting lecture. What is the situation, what is the situation, for example, of the Muslims who are suppressed in the, in the Muslim countries? Are, do they have to just keep quiet what you should, they should do? In situations like, say, Al-Jazair, and even recently in Turkey, what, mm. what, is, what should they should do? Okay, again here, uh, I think the best thing that uh, they should do, if they can organize themselves, and be strong uh, enough to remove the people who are oppressing them. But uh, it is senseless that uh, you go in the street and you, you kill this or you kill that one. And, and I'm not saying that they are doing this because um, this is what their enemies are saying about it. So I'm not saying that uh, this is what uh, these Muslims are doing. Uh, but if someone says, uh, this is what we should do, I would say no. This is wrong. Uh, the best thing is to make a coup if you can. You know? <laughs> As people did in the Sudan. So, so, so. No. Uh, I'm safe. Oh, okay. Yes, uh, it is a legitimate. You see, if, 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 um, even by Western standards, it is legitimate. If, if, uh, if, uh, if a, a government is, uh, is, is uh, oppressive, it's a dictatorship. And and uh, and you remove it by force, you know, uh, it's legitimate, Islamically and by Western standards. most of the Muslim Americans, when they became a Muslim here in this country, they just want to immigrate from this country so they can go to overseas Islamic countries so they can get seeking more knowledge. And most of this brothers just just don't do more much about the da'wah. Do you think the Muslim who immigrate from other countries to this country can do da'wah more than the Americans here? Or what, what do you think about who, Muslim, who? the Muslim who immigrate from other countries? No. I think, I think it is the duty of the Native Americans to make da'wah. Uh, because you see, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Whenever we send a prophet, we send um, him speaking uh, the native tongue of his people. Uh, and, and it makes, you see, language, uh, it, 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 the, the best way of, of uh, inviting people to good and to evil. There is n- nothing يعني, better or worse than this tongue. No one invented something better. Hmm? So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about the, the hypocrites, وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ وَإِنْ يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعَ لِقَوْلِهِمْ when the hypocrites talk, you listen, hmm? because the, the, the hypocrites are masters of uh, of, yani, of, 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 of speech, uh, because this is the only thing they have. Hmm? There is nothing in the heart. There is nothing. So, so uh, it's only the tongue. Uh, so, 
if you go, uh, if I go and talk to, uh, I, I remember that the first time I came to the United States and and uh, I, I talked, that was um, in Harlem. And uh, I, I talked and, and then after the lecture someone came and said, uh, from which state are you brother? Because he saw that my accent was different. And he took it for granted that I was American, but I was a kind of, I mean, queer American. <laughs> so, so uh, the tongue is very important. Uh, if, uh, that, that is why I think it is the duty, first and foremost, of the Native Americans to invite their uh, brothers. We can help you. We can help you because you have already become Muslims and you don't mind our accents or, or, or <laughs> grammatical mistakes or so, uh, you, will, uh, you think that you will benefit from us. Uh, but not everyone is like this. Uh, so it is, it is your duty. Now, to go and study overseas with the intention of coming back and making Dawah is a good thing. To say that I will go and live there forever, and I don't care about America. No, that's the bad thing. Uh, it is jihad. It is jihad to come to non-Muslim countries with the intention of da'wah. This is jihad. Yeah. Even as Ibn uh, Taymiyyah said, even if this be at the expense of some of the good things that you used to do at home. For example, to pray five times yeah, in, the, in, the, in the masjid. Uh, not to see uh, women uh, half naked going in the street. Uh, so, so he said, even if it's at the expense of some of the good things that you used to do uh, in the Muslim, in, in, when you live among, uh, among Muslims. And uh, he said that, inshallah, Allah will give you more reward uh, by coming to non-Muslims, uh, non-Muslim countries, uh, more reward than uh, the reward that you used to get by living among, uh, among Muslims. And I repeat that this is a kind of jihad. Of course, there is a difference between coming to make da'wah, which is jihad, and coming just to improve your standards of living. Uh, you know, there is a difference, of course. No. No. Why, why don't you read for me? It's up to you to answer this or not. Yeah. To what extent can a Muslim at the same time be an American and also it's up to you to answer this or not. To what extent can a Muslim at the same time be an American and also about the oath taken to become an American citizen? Uh, well, I haven't, uh, I haven't read uh, the, the, the oath. Many uh, people ask me this question, and uh, uh, and I think I should have. So I, I, I don't, I don't think I am, I, I can answer the question. And I haven't read the oath. Uh, this brother, no, no, no. Shukran, Barakallah. I think the comparison between uh, the. Uh, the Sulh al-Hudaybiyah, mm-hmm. and as you said, uh, the